So let us pray. Hover here, O God, like you hovered over the waters of creation. And let your word be heard out of the chaos that we might be called to praise. Amen. As we hear God's word read and proclaimed this morning, I invite you to close your eyes and visualize the beauty of creation that the psalmist describes as you hear God's word from Psalm 104. Listen now for the word of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, wrapped in light as with a garment. You stretch out the heavens like a tent. You set the beams of your chambers on the water. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride on the wings of the wind. You make the winds your messengers, fire and flame your ministers. You set the earth on its foundations so that it shall never be shaken. You cover it with the deep as with a a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they flee. At the sound of your thunder they take to flight. They rose up to the mountains, ran down to the valleys, to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. You make the springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills, giving drink to every wild animal. The wild asses quench their thirst. By the streams, the birds of the air have their habitation. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the cattle and the plants for people to use to bring forth from the earth and wine to gladden the human heart, oil to make the face shine, and bread to strengthen the heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that you planted. In them the birds build their nests, and the stork has its home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are a refuge for the connies. You have made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness, and it is night, when all the animals of the forest come creeping out. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they withdraw and lie down in their dens. People go out to their work and to their labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide, creeping things innumerable there are, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan that you formed to sport in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. 
When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth their spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed for the earth and let the wicked be no more, but bless the Lord, O my soul, and praise God's holy name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite quotes comes from author E.B. White, who writes, I arise in the morning torn between the desire to improve the world and the desire to enjoy the world. And this makes it hard to plan the day. As I sat down to begin writing the sermon this week with a deadline looming, since Sunday morning now comes on Thursday for your preachers, I felt the urgency of the work ahead of me as I stared at my computer screen. It was evening. My kids had finally gone to bed and the house was quiet. And I was sitting on the couch in their playroom looking out our backyard windows. And I paused for just a moment because the sunset against the looming storm clouds was producing breathtaking colors across the evening sky. And this tiny sliver of moonlight was shining overhead without a care in the world. And I let myself for one or two breaths just simply sit in awe of the beauty of creation that I have no control over and that I did nothing to produce. And then after that brief moment, I turned my head back to the screen and said, Okay, God, thanks for the inspiration. Now back to work. E.B. White's question strikes at the heart of our purpose on this earth. Are we here to delight, to find joy, to simply receive this life and the world in which we live as a gift? Or are we to look around at the world and recognize that all is not right? all is not well, and work to improve the world as partners in God's reconciling work. White poses the question as if the two are mutually exclusive. To improve the world means that we cannot simultaneously delight in the world and vice versa. But are they? This is not just a modern question. When the Benedictine order was established with the rule of St. Benedict in the 5th century, the monks were seeking to order their life before God in a way that attended to that very question. Are we here to delight or to work? What is pleasing to God? 
For the monks seeking to live together in community, they needed a way to organize their days, and they did so by striving to balance prayer and rest with study and work. This rhythm became known as the Ora and Labora, the tradition of prayer and work that in all things God might be glorified. In short, prayer and work are not mutually exclusive, but in fact, natural partners. The actions of prayer and labor can both delight and both improve. And this mutual practice of aura and labora, this mutual goal of simultaneously delighting in and improving the world, is central to our understanding of our relationship with creation. When it comes to talking about that relationship, Scripture has a lot to say. We could be focusing today on one of the two creation stories in Genesis. We could be looking at any of 50 of the 150 psalms that reference creation. We could focus on Romans 8, where Paul describes how all creation groans in labor pains as we, re as we await God's redemption. We could read any number of apocalyptic texts, both Old and New Testament, that point to God reconciling the world and all creation to God's self. There is certainly enough to say about creation in Scripture. So why Psalm 104? Why this psalm for this morning? For starters, Psalm 104 seems to burst at the seams with joy as it celebrates creation's manifold works. Old Testament scholar Bill Brown writes, Psalm 104 presents a panoramic sweep of creation, from the theological and the cosmological to the ecological and biological, all bracketed by the doxological. Whatever we can learn about our relationship with creation from this psalm is grounded in the context of doxology, of praise. In a pandemic time when everything feels just kind of dark and terrible, here comes the psalmist with a moment of delight. The psalmist is calling for a reorientation of our view from all that is wrong and fear-laden and disheartening and grief-stricken and rage-worthy and exhausting to a lens of pure joy. This isn't to say that we're simply to put on our rose-colored glasses and act as if everything is okay. We know it's not. But there is a strange dichotomy that I have noticed recently. For in this time when everything seems broken, God's creation has never looked so beautiful. My Facebook and Instagram feeds are this hilarious contrast of flowers and gardens and the joy of children alongside this constant flow of articles about our pandemic woes. None of us wants to be stuck at home. None of us wants to be apart. None of us wants to deal with the disruptions and uncertainties and griefs and fears that are everywhere around us. 
But in this season when we're apart, it seems that creation is one of the few things that can still stir us to joy. Many of you this spring have been able to put your hands in the soil and delight in God's earth. We received an incredible 73 pictures of your gardens all across the city, including those at Clifton Sanctuary Ministries, where individuals without stable housing are delighting in squash pasta with pets pesto made from their very own harvest. Many of you have named that one of the things that you started doing out of sheer survival, taking a daily walk in your own neighborhood, is now the thing you do for joy because it offers you a chance to see the beauty of the world around you, to unburden yourself however briefly, to tread lightly and delight in God's creation. Our relationship with creation that might otherwise take a back burner amid the hubbub of life and work and scurrying from one place to the next has received a renewed attention as a result of the pandemic slowing our pace. And so the psalmist's call to joy, to delight, to praise, feels a fitting, perhaps holy starting point for nurturing our relationship with creation and a breath of fresh air from everything else we are facing today. This is not to simply oversimplify or gloss over the very real challenges facing the world. From greenhouse gases to rising tides to food insecurity to endangered species, our stewardship of creation is an essential part of our relationship with God and God's world. My fear, however, is that when we begin to talk about our relationship with creation, we skip the way in which we relate to God in creation and jump straight to creation as environmental issues. Too often, talking about creation in the church becomes a political issue with an agenda and causes everyone to retreat into their polarized camps and gear up for a fight. Worse yet, our environmentalism becomes a way to shame one another into action, which is problematic because shame categorically fails at changing behavior. But if we can step back from the labels that come with political issues, and recenter ourselves around our purpose to delight and improve God's world, then I don't know anyone who doesn't have the capacity to stand in awe of a sunset, to delight in the smell of a fresh-cut flower, to savor the taste of a ripe peach on their lips. And I don't know anyone who doesn't desire for us to live in a world where we have clean water to drink, fresh air to breathe, shade to enjoy in the heat of the summer, fields that can grow delectable food, and a world that can support a diversity of life, including our own. And in that context, talking about our relationship with God and creation isn't a right or left issue, 
It isn't a black or white issue. It's not an evangelical or progressive issue because it's not an issue. It's a relationship between God and humanity as we share this home we call Earth. The debate among Christians often gets boiled down into an interpretation of humanity's role in Genesis 1. God says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. The question has become whether having dominion is a charge to have control over or be in partnership with, to dominate or to be stewards of creation. But that question also assumes that God created the world and simply took a back seat for one eternally long seventh day of Sabbath, and as a result, left humanity at the helm. And under that interpretation, it's fair to argue that humanity has not exactly been the best keeper of God's world. But Psalm 104 paints a different picture of our relationship with God and creation. In the psalm, creation is not so much a beginning point as it is an ongoing process conducted moment by moment in which the world is sustained by God's love and joy in creation. Professor Bill Brown reframes our view on creation not as something we are independently responsible for, but as a holy space of shared life together with God. In that space, God is still integrally involved in creation, and we are invited to be partners in it. Professor Brown writes, In the beginning, God created a home for divinity, for the triune God, and in turn established a home for every living creature. As the tenants in God's cosmic mansion, all creatures are therefore recipients of God's providential care. If we see ourselves as guests in God's dwelling, as residents of the kingdom of heaven unfolding on earth, we are called to a grateful response for all that God provides through praise and through care for creation. In short, we don't engage in caring for creation out of raw obligation, out of shame for our failures, or out of grasping for control. The psalmist instead invites us to care for creation out of nothing more than pure joy. Dr. Brown writes, God's delight in creation requires reciprocal engagement on the part of the creature. Call it God's covenant of play, of mutual engagement, whereby divine joy invites human response. It is incumbent upon God's most powerful creatures to ensure that divine delight is sustained so that the world will be sustained. As long as the psalmist rejoices in God and God rejoices in creation, the delight shared between creator and creature continue to sustain the world. 
There are, of course, an abundance of ways that you can share in this delight. From the joy of your own backyard garden harvest, to shopping at farmer's markets and enjoying vegetables from local food co-ops. From your own recycling and composting, to more tangible acts of activism for community-wide sustainability. From delighting in lower power bills, from energy efficient improvements to your home, to celebrating the growth of ethical financial investments. From singing God's praise on a morning walk, to rolling up your sleeves and letting yard work be an act of love. And this joyful work does not have to happen in isolation. Our relationship with God in creation is one that we are called to tend as a community. Baptist pastor Reverend Ambrose Carroll, founder of the movement Green the Church, has taken on this work among African-American congregations. He recalls growing up visiting the farm where his grandfather plowed the land, grew vegetables, and raised livestock. Even though he grew up in the inner city himself and experienced the blight and areas of disconnect with the earth, he grew up with a certain respect and reverence for the land. He now lives in Oakland, California, and pastors a church called the Church by the Side of the Road in Berkeley in a highly urban setting. But Reverend Carroll has made care for the earth his signal calling. Even though the church is located in this urban environment, they offer water stations for Berkeley bikers. They compost and recycle. They use silverware instead of plastic utensils and serve lean, nutrient-rich foods at congregational meals. They're transitioning away from printing programs and bulletins and have planted an herb garden out back. While his organization, Green the Church, is committed to economic and political change as well, it's motivated by the tangible roots of their relationship with God and creation that exist right before them in their own community in ways that they can delight and celebrate week in and week out. They're reminded that this relationship is an ongoing partnership from generation to generation. And so they connect their commitment to God's creation backward to their ancestors. Reverend Carroll reminds the church, your grandmother had a garden in the back. Your grandmother made quilts, which is a form of recycling. Our ancestors created gumbo, which is a creative use for things that people thought couldn't be used. And by linking them to the joys of their own past, they're able to see the ways that they can be partners in God's caring for creation today so that generations forward can join in the psalmist's praise. So as you arise each morning, perhaps you don't have to be torn between the desire to improve the world and the desire to enjoy the world. By nurturing your relationship with God and creation, however big or small, your delight can lead you to tend God's creation, and your actions to improve the world 
can stir in you a sense of joy. And suddenly, your days are much easier to plan. May it be so. Amen.